Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast for the Church of St. George, the Marte in Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis, and I am joined as always by the Archdeacon, the Rector of our parish, Reverend Rodney Whiteman. Reverend, how are you today? Good afternoon, Lindsay. Oh, um, we, we're doing very, very well. Um, just had a, a, a busy, busy week, another funeral we've had to um, have. A 37-year-old person who died of COVID, a mom of two. So this morning, uh, I had a bit of heaviness around that area, um, struggling through that service. Mm. Uh, and, um, and you know, just having her children and young husband sit in front of me, and it was it was was very very difficult brought lots lots back of my own brother and how families are dealing with this mm-hmm. um but then i had to go to the chemist where we had to stand in this long queue and was able to go in and have some fun i could meet some of the parishioners there who remembered me in spite of the mask so um it was wonderful one lady said oh father i, I i'm just going to touch you <laughs> And she greeted me with a shell, uh, an elbow, and she said, and then she put her hands across her chest, and she said, you know, she so much wants to hug me, but but she knows she can't do it, um, and said that um, I'm I'm not going to come to church until I'm sure everything is okay. But we continue tuning into the things that you are taking us on the journey you are going with us, and I so much appreciate that. So. That that made my day. Her, her words were um, "love you," and that was just really affirming for me. You know, just being, you know, getting to see some of the people, remembering who they are, making the connection is wonderful. So yeah, we're in a good space as family also. So thank you very much, and I trust the same for you and for Cleo, who's also joined us today. Cleo Ann. Yes, Cleo and Joseph makes a return. Um, I didn't scare <laughs> off last week, <laughs> which is great. It's good to have another voice on. Uh, well, I just want to say, Reverend, your hair actually is quite a distinctive feature. So even with the mask, um, you are easy to pick out in a crowd. <laughs> uh, Cleo and how do, how do we find you today? I am well, thank you very much. It's good to be back. I'm especially enjoying the wonderful weather today. It's been quite chilly this week, but the sun is making a difference, and so I appreciate that. So, yes, it's good to be back, and I look forward to whatever we're going to explore today. Awesome. Um, as the Reverend said earlier, this is just one part of the many sides of St. George the Martyr in Kale Service Digital Ministries. There's a WhatsApp voice note that goes out. I know the bishop's voice notes also get circulated. There are many ways you can interact with the church, within the church community. But thank you for tuning in on this. Uh, Father, could you please call us together with a collective prayer and then we can dive straight into the liturgy, which is going to be a fun one. Certainly. Thanks, Lindsay. I am very grateful to be able to greet you uh, from this platform of connection. On this 12th Sunday after Pentecost, we are in the month of compassion. And just to give us a sense of what other people uh, think about compassion and how they use it, Karen Armstrong, who is uh, um, a nun theologian, and she wrote these words, in compassion, when we feel with the other, we dethrone ourselves from the center of our world and we put another person there. We would start this service with the hymn Songs of Praise the Angels Sang. So we go right into the portals of heaven. And from that perspective, we greet you all with these gathering words. My sisters and brothers, the Lord King Samuel loved is with you. Thank you for joining us. Good morning to you all. And We pray that this will be another experience of you to, as Lindsay said, explore faith with us in a time of crisis. That draws us then to the collect for the day and the week, which you will find on the screens. And 
it will be part of the the notices, the Pew leaflet, so you could even tap into that on Facebook. We pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the living bread. Nourish us with your life that we will understand your truth and recognize your presence among us. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Yes, as the Archdeacon said, um, the collect and the choice verses from the readings are in the podcast description. And our readings today, our first reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts. Um, I'm going to jump to the gospel as well, which is according to John chapter 6, verses 51 to 58. Uh, we're continuing with Jesus saying that he's the bread of life. And then the Jews dispute among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus is like, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Uh, Reverend, I want to discuss the role of the sacrament. Can you have a church service? Can you have the church gathering on a Sunday and not distribute the bread and the wine? Can you have it with like other things that can fill the void or at least be the symbol of the body and the blood? Um, in terms of the nature of the Anglican Church and its tradition, we are understood to be a sacramental church. Based on that understanding, the sacrament should be your chief, the sacramental service, your communion service, should be your chief service at least once a week, mainly on the gathering day of the church, which is the first day of the week, the day of Sunday, the day of resurrection. Now, if you wanted a second service on the Sunday, then you don't need to have a sacramental service, but you can have a service that is based on what the tradition would call the office or the evening prayer. Um, you could have a Bible study. Um, you could have a prayer meeting. Um, but because of the nature of our church and the tradition being a sacramental church, we are meant to celebrate the Eucharist at least on the Sunday um, and at least once a week. The tradition used to be where we would have uh, the Eucharist celebrated every day, uh, but that uh, practice has um, dwindled down to twice a week, which is once during the, the weekdays and one on the Sunday. Then uh, it is encouraged even that marriage ceremonies and um, and uh, funeral services, uh, the life of, of the, the the life of the of the Christian should be celebrated, not just ceremonially, but sacramentally. Now, why why is that of such an importance? Because as we understand sacraments, sacraments is the extension, the ongoing extension, the ongoing expression, the ongoing outpouring of God's generous grace to us. It's that, it's that sign that continues to remind us that as the Eucharistic people of God, we are a people of grace. And, and we are taught through the sacramental life of the church that the church is God's sacrament to the world. So as God, God's body is broken in the sacramental bread, 
poured out in the sacramental wine. So when we receive the commission at the end of the service, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, the intention is to understand that as we've received the sacrament, we are being distributed, broken up, shared, poured out with Christ to the world. So uh, in our understanding, in our view, in the in the in the teaching of Jesus, sacrament, the sacrament is of a crucial witnessing importance. The other service are not necessarily secondary to it, but it is the main way in which we express who we are as those who follow Jesus. And it has to be wine. Now, our tradition goes back to scripture itself, which was Mediterranean with its Mediterranean flavor, where wine was part of the meal. Mm. And wine, you see, unfortunately, when we think of wine in more modern contexts, we don't have this rich history attached that the scripture does. Wine was seen as the symbol of new life. Uh, and wine was not um, encouraged to be used for gluttonous behaviorisms. It was, it was meant as part of your meal process. It helped with your digestive system. In the teachings of our Lord and in Old Testament teachings, wine was um, the sign of new life. There's John chapter 2, the first miracle of Jesus, changing the water yeah. into the wine, is the teaching that it symbolizes new life. Okay. Also, also the process of, of making wine is a very informative one that can attach itself to the spiritual journey. We, you're picked and you are trampled upon and then you are fermenting through a process before you get out to this end product. Um, and so it has that, that teaching with it as well, where we can look at how we are meant to become this valuable product for God through the, 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 the process that it takes from the coral to the bottle if I can put in that fun word. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, so Cleo, um, what is your relationship with the sacrament? Like this is now in the before times you at church every Sunday. What is, is there something special or is it just a, is it just muscle memory? Is it just like something that you do on a Sunday or do you feel fulfilled after you've had the sacrament? Definitely, I do feel fulfilled as a sacrament is about symbolism and we attach so many things to symbolism, our sentiments. And so it's just for me, um, drawing from that experience each week is as if I'm preparing myself, becoming new for whatever I'm going to be facing in the week to come. So it's not just muscle memory, it actually has meaning. It serves a purpose. It gives me that real relationship with Jesus and with God in terms of Jesus being the body and having the blood as the wine um, and not having it as gluttony, but having it every week, weekly, you know, in moderation and knowing exactly what it means to um, quench my thirst as I move along in the week because life is rough. And so... Mm. Get, you do get thirsty along the way. And so it's important what you're putting into your body, physically and spiritually. And so I would say that, you know, reading your Bible, um, following those scriptures is a form of drinking and drinking what's good to sustain you. So I definitely think that the sacraments are important. It also sets us apart from other denominations. And the reason why I say this is because last week, I had met with a few friends around the table and we had some wine, definitely, but we, we spoke about the whole thing of denominations and how different each denomination is and what makes them different. 
the types of things that we do. And so one of the things that we do in our church or in our parish is that we have the communion, which is the body and the blood, and that sets us apart from other denominations. But it's pointless to be set apart if you're not attaching the proper meanings to that experience. Why are we doing this in church? What does it represent? And I think a good, a good point that you can look at visually is um, the Passion of the Christ. If you've watched that movie, it just makes that experience of the body and the blood so much more real and so much more intense. And so it really makes you think about um, who you are in that sense and why you do the things that you do, like these sacraments, for example. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Um, I'll, I'll share a little anecdote. Uh, my dad, um, he lived for... How long was that? Probably six years. Yes, they gave him six months and he went on to live another six years um, with cancer, with um, colon cancer. And the chemo um, affected him quite badly. Like he wasn't a big drinker to begin with, uh, but I would always find it amusing that he would then power through his sip of um, communion wine every Sunday, knowing that it was like liquid fire being poured down his throat. And I, I admired him for, for like his commitment and the commitment to that symbolism um, to then suffer through the physical pain that it was actually causing him. But but I say this, like I, I, I'm not gluttonous with wine <laughs> anymore <laughs> because I have um, two children and two energetic dogs. Um, and yeah, mornings slap a bit different for me now in my adult years. <laughs> Um, on a weekend um, and I hate hangovers I've had too many of them um, and I just hate that so I know my limits now uh, but yeah in the past like I, I obviously have a, a very different relationship with with the church but I I always found that I was more drawn to like the liturgy of the word and not necessarily the sharing of the Eucharist and I I, I used to think that like having the wine, prescribing the bread and the wine was just another way that man has come in and just kind of given a a more jovial twist on, on what would be quite a restrictive doctrine. So it's like, yeah, guys, you can have like wine on a Sunday because, you know, it's <laughs> Jesus' blood. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, but talking about the the importance of the physical, like Eucharist, uh, Archdeacon or Reverend, um, just enlighten us, like on your relationship to it. Like, what what's your mindset when you are blessing it um, and sharing it with the community? You you would know that um, my understanding of God as Spirit is that God that there's a whole mystery. We are invited into mystery in the material. Mm. And, and we are given in the material signs of the mystery. The material lasts, but for a season, the mystery is always. And so, um, you know, there is a sense in which we are used, we are drawn into a holy narrative. It, and, and we recall how Jesus did this, that, that interesting words on the night before he died. Now, if there's anything that makes us realize just how human we are, is death. On the night before he died, the ultimate human frailty. Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, gives thanks to God, gives it to the disciples with these words. This is my body. This is my blood after blessing. On the night that he died, he offers himself to his disciples. And he says these incredible words, when you take and eat, take and drink, you are called to remember me. The wonderful Latin word for remembering in your theological teaching is anamnesis. We recall the 
mystery of creation because we've just confessed in our creeds that God is creator. We are drawn into that ultimate act that redeemed, that, that, that saves the world of redemption, which we've confessed, and into the life of the spirit and the life of the church. So it's drawn into a holy narrative by the holy God whose son is present to us, embodying the very the ultimate vulnerability and fragility of what it means to be human in death. What it gives us, death cannot take away memory and grace, generosity and love. In other words, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it beautifully when he said, when God calls a person to follow, God calls us first to die. So that by the giving of Jesus, we enter into the mystery of life. Unless we've been able to dig into the deep fragility of what it means to be human, powerlessness, weakness, how will we appreciate the gift of life? In other words, the gift of memory is, is, is the gift that something was alive and something will live. And so we appreciate and we realize it's the gift of grace. It's also God sharing in our life, we being called to share in God's life. We, the material, are called to share in the unique, eternal mystery, which then gives meaning to how to live in a, in a, in a, in a world where human life is faced with its worst enemy, that of death. So when I stand at that altar, and in the tradition of the Anglicans, the person who celebrates, the one who is um, ordained to celebrate the Mass on behalf of the people, is called Altar Christus. We are, as it were, representing Jesus. We are recalling Jesus. We are reliving Jesus at the crucial point for the redemption of the world. The Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. St. Paul's interpretation of the Eucharist was what I use at our Eucharistic services. For as, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Now the mission becomes clearer. Go out into all the world. To do what? Because you to serve at the very core of human struggle. Now that's what compassion is all about. Being empowered by the spirit. Remember the prayer of dedication, Father Almighty, we offer ourselves to you. Because he offered us himself to us as a living sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrificial living in the power of the Holy Spirit, empower us to live to your praise and glory. We must go into the world to do that, to, to, to in the mission of creating a sense of the dignity of life, of the integrity of humanity, of the beauty and the wonder of creation to build a world in which we pray with Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. The Eucharist takes us right down to the very deepest level of the brokenness of humanity because the fear of death Go, go through the valley of the shadow of death. He's existing with us every day. And Jesus took it at that level. 
but but in death he gives us something he took the bread he took the material the most basic of all that we need is in the bread and the wine in a fellowship meal a shared coexistence god and us together so that we can be a community of hope a community of joy a community of transformation a community of celebration community that is just and fair and equitable because he gave us his body and blood on the night that he was of his death the night of his betrayal he gave he blessed he took he blessed and gave so and are you are you on a journey in the week um amping or like ramping yourself up to something that i for for even from now on will call the ultra christian state because that's yeah. what i heard when you said the other thing so it's like you now are you are you ramping up towards that moment um in your week in your preparation for sunday yeah how do you how do you in other words it's cyclical isn't it on the mm. sunday we meet and we receive this incredible gift in the week we give what we have received we become who he is for others mm. and then we bring back more henry nowen says whenever i come to the eucharistic table i bring with me those whom i've met along the way they may not even be known to me but i come there not with myself alone that's the fallacy of coming to church we come not for ourselves primarily we mm. come with others that we have embraced along the way even the ones we were angry with and was angry with us every experience and in every human encounter every encounter with creation when you were so angry with somebody when you looked at how people in poverty have to live in dirt and uh, with 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 soiled water you come with that so that it can be redeemed so we that, go back with yeah that's fascinating uh, like i'm <laughs> i'm fixated on this so is there anything like if you wake up the morning like something happens that you stepped on the dog and it just starts like that chain reaction of anger and sinful thoughts can yeah. you then still pitch up at the altar and perform that duty knowing all of the sins isn't that why the eucharist which is the prayer of great thanksgiving uh, a journey through worship and through the importance of knowing that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god in his presence we dare not assume a parallel of holiness okay but could only do what isaiah did when he saw when he saw the presence of the lord in the temple and god's robe filled the the, the earth he said woe well, am i a man of unclean lips how dare we put our eyes onto the eye on, onto the presence of the holy when we breathe demonic um statements with eyes and mouth in the course of the week unless we say what he said uh the prophet woe am i a man of unclean lips and i live among unclean people that i have seen god and then get gives us a, re- a reminder of the sacramental grace of god to forgive us when we confess he stands ready put a coal on his tongue he said to the angel and he doesn't tarry on that how bad and sinful you are he immediately says whom shall i send and who will go for us it reminds the prophet i'm sending you to a people that will not hear a rebellious people but nevertheless that's where i want you to go 
So we shouldn't be holding people um, sin against them. Part of being a sacramental church is to say sacramental grace of forgiveness is is waiting for you. Mm. But so Cleo, we cannot say that unless we've also said, "I'm sorry, Lord." Yeah. And you would and you would hear in every the service I offer through the um, audio on a weekly basis. As as soon as I've said in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Isaiah comes into my mind. And I realize, wait, 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 before you go on, realize you you need to say sorry in the presence mm. of the Holy One. Very interesting. So, Cleo Ann, you obviously interact with <laughs> the negative sides of, like, alcohol abuse, um, where... <laughs> As an educator, you're dealing with um, kids who may be affected by fetal alcohol syndrome. Like, there's a lot of things, like the home situation spills out into how the student performs in the classroom. Mm-hmm. That's a, How do you overcome those challenges? How do you look beyond the sins that have produced the unruly child and then try and Try and minister in in your professional capacity. Wow, um, it's definitely true that alcohol abuse is quite rife around us in our communities, and I don't think uh, you have to go far to see that. I mean, simply with the lockdown now, especially when the president restricts alcohol use, people are angry, and it's can get. And I I think young people, children, see this. And they identify with that and they, you know, reciprocate that behavior. And it comes into the classroom where you have children who are angry or aggressive. You're not always sure why it is that way. It could be related to alcohol abuse. It could be that them themselves are, you know, the, the remnants of alcohol abuse when they were in the womb or so on. And it comes down to every day renewing your mind. You cannot hold that behavior against the child, the attitudes, the thoughts that they may embody because of the circumstances and being exposed to alcohol abuse. It's definitely something that you need to walk into the classroom with a new mindset, um, renew your mind, and look past um, the issue and look at who the child actually is. Look at the person and work on the talents and abilities. So. I would mostly think that it's safe to use positive reinforcement, so encouraging that child, because you can't do much in terms of the home circumstance. If you do it too far, you don't know what will become of the child. So as a teacher, being in the classroom, creating that safe haven, allowing them to be who they are, and to expose yourself to why they are angry or aggressive, or they have the attitudes that they do have, and work towards being positive and encouraging them and making them enthusiastic about that is happening at home. But here at school, it's a different story. Here we value who you are and you have a purpose, you have a future. Here's something you can strive to. You can look further than the bottle that is basically breaking up your family at home. It's not easy, but um, I think a teacher's influence lasts a lifetime. Mm. So we are able to influence in a good way and move past what's happening, that behavior and focus on who the child is, I think we do well for society. It's unfortunate that children spend more of their time in the home than what they do at school. So you could try to change behavior, but that behavior can easily become undone when that child gets home. And that's sad, but hopefully you trust that what you are trying to lead by and be an example of will stick. And if they are not so susceptible to realizing that as young as they are, perhaps they'll pick it up later in life and remember, well, I had a teacher who believed in this or the teacher who behaved in this way. And so mm. those are building blocks that I want to, to use to build my life. So I definitely think it's a constant thing of forgiving the child's behavior and then working towards the future as the person that they can be despite the circumstances. Isn't there that whole aspect of the sacramental grace happening? I give, which is what Jesus did for me, positive reinforcement when I notice bad behavior. 
in giving something to the child who doesn't have anything, or the child who only has material things, you are being sacramental in your teaching profession. And she used this words to, along his journey or her journey, she may remember another word attached to sacraments, what a teacher told them. So if we, so all I'm saying, I'm drawing from Cleo's e e expression of her uh, response to you, a sacramental action. She may not even have seen it like that. I notice what the child is doing, but what do I do? I'm giving something that is probably going to be fine and it will be transformative because in there is the holy call, the memory of what was done in the past to reinforce the value of it. Yeah, that, that was the, the parallel that, that I was drawing quite tenuously. Uh, but but just going back to, to, to Cleo, actually to the both of you, um, how do you manage that pressure to be the altar Christian, to be the model of the values you would want other people to show or to live by? Um, because like I... Like I, I said last week, I, I have very few like role models. Um, like I, I extract more like characteristics, not really characteristics, but like like I, I, I have a lot of favorite writers and like I'm a Kanye West fan, for instance. Um, and I love his creativity. I love that every album he serves up something entirely different, challenges my understanding of music. Um, the potential of music as well. Um, every album is a paradigm shift. And as a person, I can't really take a lot from him as like a role model, but as a creative, there's a lot going on there. So I don't have many people who, I, can't, I don't have any actually that I can think of directly who I would like to model on. And then I live my life where I live the way I want to, and I don't expect anybody to look up to me. <laughs> so I'm always taken aback when I, in conversation with people where they actually show the sort of thing. But the two of you have that pressure constantly on you. And I'm going to go to Cleo first. How do you, how do you manage that? How do you, how do you live the talk? Well, I was going to say that it comes down to what you surround yourself with, the influences, and a lot of the times models those are people that you look up to and you might not look up to the person as a whole but i think there are segments of that person that you take and that and decide to break that into who you want to be and i think a good example of that is looking at the characters from the bible and i mentioned this last week as well looking at the experiences in terms of who they want to be and how they should be and following the role model of Jesus, though. However, on the flip side, if there aren't really role models around us to look up to, then it comes down to the influences that we surround ourselves with. So to alleviate that pressure of feeling that you need to be a certain way, you need to be looking at the things that you are listening to, the things you are watching, um, the things you are saying, so that you make your pressure less in terms of being conscious of what it is that you're putting inside yourself, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally as well, because mental health is a real thing. So feeling the pressure of being um, in the spotlight, for example, my stage is the classroom. That's where I'm situated. I always say that character is what you do and no one is watching. So there are constantly little eyes watching what I'm doing, how I dress, how I speak what I eat, um, the way I wear my mask, do I sanitize, do I social distance? And they're so quick to actually enlighten you and say, but ma'am, miss, teacher, um, your mask is not on properly, you didn't sanitize, you must social distance. 
you know, mm-hmm. which are quite aware of these things, and it brings another source of pleasure. But I think if you're conscious of your behavior and you're renewing your mind with the correctings that you're watching, listening to, that you're speaking, um, the people you surround yourself with, and I think you can you can kind of decrease that pleasure. That a lot of the things. Um, that happens to us could be of our own doing and is our own in a way of making ourselves stressful and feeling that pressure. Like Reverend said earlier about the comparison thing, I think that's a very pressurized or pressureful, I don't know what the word is, um, type of thing to do to yourself. You put a lot of pressure on yourself when you compare yourself to others and we're surrounded by a world of constant comparisons. We want to be the next influencer. But so how do we influence in terms of God's kingdom? Do we influence worldly ways? Or do we influence God's ways? And I actually noticed that on the magazine that I bought today that mentions about um, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control what it is that you're watching, what you listen to. And I think that can, that can alleviate that pressure of feeling you need to be a certain way, and people are watching you. You're standing in front of many. So I think that pressure thing comes down to um, being conscious of what you are exposing yourself to and who you are being an example to. Very interesting answer. You have anything to speak into that? Uh, my response. My my response is that by the grace of God, every day I'm called to be. And in my being, I'm called to become. As the day goes on and as situations arise and contexts meet me. Now, what is my understanding of what it means to be and to become? When I look at the way in which the writer to the Ephesians is helping to shape the minds and the hearts and the lives of the congregation that he's right that they're writing to um verse 15 says be careful then how you live so in other words all of life whatever context we are being formed and we have to think about what that what what that formation was like was it something i observed something that i heard um something that um that i engaged uh with engaged me and how am i willing to learn from that from from that uh, ways of formation then to be wise enough to apply what I'm supposed to apply to make my life a better life. We, we do realize that our thinking is always in question. The Jews disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Um, it shows just how shallow these people were in this sense of spirituality in the sense of what it means to be a people of God. Because we're not reflective enough. We're so prone to think that the that the um, literal word shapes us. It is not the, that is my 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 qualm with with, um, with uh, Christianity becoming about becoming about the literal word of scripture as well as um, as the as the um, uh, then the little word is turned into a cliche and turned into a principle that when you think about it is not even a principle and not really what what God was meant to say because we we do not think of depth when we think of the incredible way in which Jesus challenged these people because he could push the envelope when he says i am the living bread he was saying think deeper what's the meaning of bread yeah and when you think deeper when you take this to the next level of depth your true formation becomes possible so then in a state in a state of being you can become 
So what is forming me every day? Uh, one of the things that I must embrace, which I don't always embrace so well, is rest is a gift. If I don't rest properly, how will I be attentive to life? Attentive to the mystery of life. Um, my, my interaction with my family, the very first people I wake up to in the presence of God, the home life. What am I observing there? Yes, I may trample on the dog because the dog is part of the family. Well, trampling on the dog and being abusive after that, one of God's creatures in a dignified way, what then will my day be like? So I'm conscious of the fact that I've been given the gift to be. Now I've got to work on how I become through the formation I'm given by the experiences I have in my everyday life. And one of which is to be in prayer with God, to read and study scripture, to meet for the gathering of the sacrament, to be with other Christians, to be in fellowship, to have fun. Uh, some live by a particular kind of rule that enables them to become what they believe God is calling them to become. Our life is a vocation. That is why it's sacrificial. Mm. I feel you on that, but this was all just a clever ruse <laughs> to get to the okay. point that when, when Jesus <laughs> said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Um, yeah, that little understanding of the symbolism within the Eucharist yeah. is, is actually a crutch. And it's the same thing like when, when, when I argue with, <laughs> with you about grace, where those things live inside you. It's there all the time. And it's 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 not something that you need to go into that ritual of like renewing every week. It's just it's just the journey. It's just the life. So I I think especially now over the last what's going on to be two years now, um that we couldn't gather, we couldn't commune and have the communion, um, everyone around the altar, that sort of thing. I think we add an inflection point now where we can move beyond the idea of the faith, including the sacrament, and just maybe feast on, on, on the word and the understanding and the meditations and all those things that I believe are a lot more fulfilling and important. Um, that's that's where you have the problem. Yeah. <laughs> does Why? Any, does anybody argue <laughs> when the bread is shared? But everybody argues when a word is read. Scripture does not have the intention for us to dispute and argue and fight with one another. But that's exactly what we did. When we go back to when we go back to Cleo's meeting around the table with various uh, denominations, this this there's a balance between word and sacrament. But people try to overemphasize, you know, people try. My, I'm, I'm being very honest when I say this. I think people are holding God hostage to what is written in scripture. And and scripture is meant to be read in the presence of the spirit in order for interpretation to happen. But when people run around, run around just because they listen to this scripture and they listen to that scripture and take promises and put God to the test with these promises and so on, I think they're doing a disservice to scripture. Mm. But when he says to us around the table, as the good news to you, all of who he is in the word is given in the sacrament. Because there's a response to make. There's an amen to express. 
there's a challenge that goes forth. If he gives himself to me in the material, in a way that I cannot dispute. But I have to deal with its challenge. It's far deeper than fighting about what we think scripture may mean to us. I think if we get into the point of saying, it is fine, Lindsay, you may have thoughts on scripture, and Cleo, you may have, but do I need to fight with you about it? Because when we really think about it, we're basically all coming trying to do the same thing. But scripture has become a tool of war. Mm. Hence, I mean, I mean, Luke chapter 24 is the most important story for me about the um, about the sacrament. When he broke the bread on the road to Emmaus, their eyes were opened. When he spoke to them, their hearts were inspired. Their hearts, they, as somebody says, they had heartburn. The word and the sacrament are held together. And when you get churches where pastor preaches whole day of what he thinks scripture is, you listen to the dangers. Because when pastor makes statements that's not even scriptural, when pastor makes statements that is eye-centered, when pastor thinks he's the only prophet that God gives to speak the scriptures, that's the danger. So the Bible, instead of becoming a tool to help us grow and become free in the Lord, it's now become a tool of judgment. We can hold it over one another's head. We can make claims that's not even true. We've got to be very careful how we really read scripture. Because it's become the tool of the so-called religious powerful to the poor populace who does not understand, does not think, which is a tenant of the beggar in the street can tell you one day, my colleague was preaching on the Trinity. It was Trinity Sunday. There was a woman in church who slept on the streets. And every time he mentioned the word Trinity, she said to him and the congregation, Father, it's a triangle. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And if, and if I was the priest at that moment, I would have stopped and said, Let's deeply think of what a triangle represents in the light of the Trinity. Mm. Because what she was saying in her drunken state was so powerful. And you know what is interesting? The story was told to me by somebody who was there. None, nothing else of the sermon was remembered oh, but wow. what she said about the triangle. So, so I, I take a very hard view on people who think they know what the scriptures are. And, you know, they make, they make statements. The, the book of Ephesians, it's not a book, it's a letter. When you know that it's a letter, the way you listen to it being read and the way you read it, it's totally different to when it's a book. Mm. And when it's a gospel, it's a gospel. Don't treat it as if it doesn't hold good news. Because, because strangely enough, and I, and I make this, I make this very clear. When you read the Gospels, there is a very fine line on who Jesus is and who the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all Jesus' enemies who were in the Gospel narrative. I, I think when I hear many Christians speak on Scripture, I hear the voice of Pharisees, not the voice of Jesus. Even the devil knows how to quote scripture. So we must be very careful. <laughs> but I will say one thing, though. Um, there are four things that reveal a person's true humanity. Well, the excess of four things. Money, power, alcohol, and cocaine. On those four things, <laughs> it really shows your true humanity when you have overindulged. Like you become <laughs> the worst version of yourself because mm -hmm. that's who you truly are. Um, 
And I think I will leave it at that for this week. Thank you very much. Uh, Cleo, do you have anything to add? I just wanted to say, um, according to the triangle lady, I've heard the statement, a drunk woman are the sober thoughts. So it's true what you're saying about those four elements that reveal your true self. I think substances have the tendency to do that. Um, and substances can come in different forms. So I agree with that. I also do want to say that I'm sitting here quite in awe because what Reverend is saying, his choice of words and the um, representations that he's drawn is quite insightful. And so I'm quite in awe. So thank you for that, Reverend. It was quite inspiring and something to chew over, definitely. That is what Thanks. we are here for. And Reverend, if you could please uh, give your closing remarks and then extract a few other points of reflection from the prayers of the church. Uh, thanks very much, Cleo and 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 um, Lindsay. It's a shared it's a shared conversation, and what you bring me to where I came to, and hopefully I brought I help bring you to where you are. Uh, but this is the most important thing that I want to round it up with in the 18th verse of the first chapter of the letter to the Ephesians. The author says, "But be filled with the Spirit." And with that, I would like us to just focus, my sisters and brothers, now on the prayers of the church, which is a celebration of who God is and of God's everlasting love for us. Our prayer, so our praise, Lord, fill your church with your love-filled life, that it may proclaim your glory to all the world. And then we pray that you may give to those with responsibility for government, a wise and discerning mind. This is to our president and all those who serve in that capacity and grant that all nations may walk with insight and truth. We just remember that Zambia had a national election the other day, some of which was very troubled, but we pray that an outcome was favorable for all. Lord, keep us from false substitutes for true spiritual and emotional health. And please set free all bound by alcohol or drug dependency. Send your spirit upon all those who are hungry for your healing touch. And at this time, we do remember those of our sisters and brothers known and unknown to us in hospital. Uh, the, we think, Lord, of Dr. Keith Kluter and his team managing the COVID crisis. Again, he said how the Hospitals in Western Cape are filling up. Lord, and at all times and in everything, teach us to sing your praises. Author of life, saviour of the nations, COVID is humbling, your grace is sufficient. The dead we mourn, for the recoveries we give thanks. The compassionate care we applaud, for the vaccines we are grateful. For compliance we plead, for the common good we pray. In the healing name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And we do hold up before you, Lord, all who have died. Pray that they may have eternal rest and bring comfort to those that mourn. We continue to pray for the Olympics. I'm sure it's beginning to come to a close. And we thank God for the abilities given. Pray for the safety of the athletes as they represent their countries it's not a matter of who won the many goals lord is that people were able to enjoy this gift of athleticism that you give to the world bless those celebrating their birthdays and wedding anniversaries this week may they enjoy the presence of your spirit in their lives and your protection lord who called solomon to walk in your ways to keep your statutes and your commandments, so you call us to live in your fear. By your redemptive work, please deliver us from violent minds and actions. Please empower us with your wisdom, compassion to care for victim and broken people of the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. There's a movement in our country now where we are fearing the dismantling of our 
democracy which we've which we've sweated blood and tears for and the constitution which is under challenge by some and so into that reality we pray O oh god of our salvation listen to your children of our nation who, who sacrifice so much to achieve with your help our democracy and constitution are pleased that we may protect them for the benefit of unity equity justice and peace and for the good of all through jesus christ our lord amen i encourage you to listen to sibungeli kumalo sing the prayer for africa which we will play in church on sunday in conclusion the blessing go out now nourished by the bread of heaven take care to walk in the ways of wisdom discern carefully between right and wrong understand what the will of the lord is feed on christ and be filled with the spirit may god give you a wise and discerning mind may christ jesus fill you with life in all its fullness may you go in peace with courage to love and serve the lord amen